0: thrilled to speak to young people for years especially in the 70s and 80s i spoke in youth rallies and youth conferences all over and uh, but now for the last 30 years i've spoken primarily in uh, to parents i've spoken at homeschool conferences and and um, and homeschool conventions and in lots of churches I found out that I was able to help families more by speaking to the parents than I could the young people, but I still love to speak to young people. Uh, you'll hear in the message tonight, I first started serving the Lord as a teenager, and uh, so anyway, it's a real joy and a delight to be here tonight. Uh, I'll talk just quickly about the table. I've got catalogs back there. We send out an email newsletter once a month, and uh, the the DVDs are ava- also available as video downloads, and we have MP4 uh, uh, flash drives and all of that. This is the message I'm giving tonight. And and the videos are me speaking. The graphics like you see come up on the screen, come up on the TV screen as you watch it. The message we thought about doing tonight is this one entitled Sinning Against Great Light. I would encourage every young person who is serious about serving God. You've been in church for a while uh, to consider that you are not like all the other Young people out there in the world, God has given you great light. And with great light comes great responsibility. And that's what that message is about. Uh, to each church represented here tonight, by the way, pastors, thank you for coming. And uh, I pastored 36 and a half years. Know what it's like to be a pastor. And I promise you will try to do nothing but help you and, and your uh, church and your young people tonight. Uh, this is a video that I showed to my church how big is God? It is all graphics, and uh, after I showed it to my church, I never had such a response. It'd make a great youth night, a pizza night. Just show it. It's about forty-five minutes long; would be incredibly uh, interesting to anybody who watches it. And I thought I would mention one other message. I'm actually giving this tomorrow morning in Sunday school to all the adults. That are here, but uh, especially I would say to the pastors here tonight, you've heard the statistics about the large percentage of young people in our churches who are walking away from God, and uh, this addresses that specifically uh, if you would, uh, if you would have a, a special time when you get all the parents of your teenagers together and show them this video, you, you would be able to make an impact in the difference. Uh, of young people and helping them not walk away from God. Because we need not only our churches, we've, we've got to get the parents on board if our young people are going to have the kind of lives that God wants them to have and be blessed like we want them to be blessed. Now, the story that I want to wrap around my message tonight is a story that was sent to me on email a number of years ago, but I researched it. And as far as I can tell, it is a true story. This is O'Hare Airport in Chicago, and if you've ever flown through there, you may have seen the pictures that I'm throwing up on the screen in front of you right now. That airplane and this whole memorial, there's a big section in the United Concourse area of the airport that tells the story of Butch O'Hare, and here is a part of his life story. It says, World War II produced many heroes, and what such man was Butch O'Hare? He was a fighter pilot assigned to an aircraft carrier in the south pacific february the 20th 1942 his entire squadron was sent on a mission after he was airborne he looked at his fuel gauge and realized they had forgotten to top off his fuel tank he would not have enough fuel to complete his mission and get back to his ship his flight leader told him to return to the carrier Reluctantly, he dropped out of formation and headed back to the fleet. As he was returning to the mothership, he saw something that turned his blood cold. A squadron of enemy Japanese zero planes were speeding their way toward the American fleet of ships. The American fighter planes were gone on a sortie. And the fleet was all but defenseless. He could not reach his squadron and bring them back in time to save the fleet, nor could he warn the fleet of the approaching danger. There was only one thing that he could do. He must somehow divert the fleet, them from the fleet. In Hebrews chapter 11, chapter 11, verse 23, we read, By faith Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents because they saw he was a proper child and they were not afraid of the king's commandment. By faith Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Read off the screen out loud with me. Everybody real clearly, please, all together. Here we go. Choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. For he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. Notice that. By faith. He forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Through faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he that destroyed the firstborn should touch them. By faith they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, which the Egyptians are saying to do were drowned. Our Bible is full of stories who made choice of people who made choices. In the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, as the first man and woman, were given by God the first choice. A few generations later, Noah and his family made one choice, and every other person alive made another. Theirs was one of the most unpopular choices in the history of the world, but Noah and his family lived to tell the story, and almost everyone else, in fact, everyone else died in the worldwide flood. When Abraham and Lot's servants squabbled, Abraham gave Lot his choice and Lot chose the well-watered fields near the vile city of Sodom. The destruction of Lot's children in Sodom showed that Lot made the wrong choice. Our text tells us of an unusual choice that Moses made. He chose to suffer affliction. He chose to be mistreated with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. I still remember the day that it happened, July of 1990. I was riding in my car, driving the 20-minute trip to my house, had the radio on, was listening to a preacher on the radio, and he made a statement that so impressed me that I exited as quickly as I could off the interstate, grabbed a three-by-five card, and wrote down what he said. That became my message the following Sunday morning. And it's basically the same message I'm sharing with you here now over 30 years later. The statement that he made was this. Life is not made up of the dreams that you dream. Life is made up of the choices that you make. Everybody read that with me. Would you please all together? Life is not made up of the dreams that you dream. Life is made up of the choices that you make. I'd never heard that statement before. I don't know whether it was original to the preacher on the radio or not, but it really grabbed my attention. Most people dream some dreams. They dream of a stable, secure, successful life. They dream of having the knowledge that they need. They dream of being happy in life. Most young people dream of living with a mate for whom they care and who cares for them in return. They dream of living to a good old age. They dream of being remembered after they're gone. But dreams are not the stuff that life is made up of choices are the mainframe and the structure on which your life is built and will be built in the future. Many times in my travels, even coming here today, I cross some, I've crossed some major rivers and the bridge across that river is not sitting on air and it's not sitting on that water. That bridge is sitting on some concrete pillars that form a mainframe that will support that huge structure of that bridge. And I'm going to tell you, in like manner, your life is not going to be sitting on dreams And it's not going to be sitting on water or air. Your life in the future, the bridge to your future is going to be sitting on top of the concrete pillar choices that you make. The greatest choice of all is the choice to trust Christ as a Savior, as your Savior. And that is a choice that you must make. No one else can make that choice for you, but that is just the beginning. You choose whether you will learn. You choose what you will learn. The Bible says you choose whether you will have a good name or not. A good name is rather to be chosen than great riches. It would actually be good to ask yourself, what do people think of when they think of my name? Not in the sense of whether they really like you or not. I'm not talking about that at all. But in the sense of, do you have the good name of an honest, character, diligent person? You choose to get knowledge and understanding. Understanding is rather to be chosen than silver. How do you choose to get knowledge and understanding? By the books that you read, the things that you watch, and the people with whom you associate. You choose your career. You choose your place of work. You choose college, no college, or which college? You choose the crowd that you will run with. You choose the person that you will marry. You choose the church that you will become a part of. I am so glad that my parents chose to take me and not send me to a Bible-preaching, Bible-believing church that preached salvation and separation and soul-winning and service. That's the church in Gaffney, South Carolina, where I was raised. Dr. Edward Maccabee was my pastor. Now, hear this next statement 10 years from now. In the year 2032, you are not going to be where you dream you're going to be. It's not going to happen. Ten years from now, you are going to be where your choices take you. Somebody defines sin like this, that sin is Satan's invitation to nowhere. It is a dead-end road if you choose to make sinful choices and follow them. When you see Moses standing before Pharaoh and later leading the children of Israel out of Egypt and across the Red Sea, when you see him standing on Mount Sinai, receiving the Ten Commandments, when you see him in the New Testament on the Mount of Transfiguration, that all goes back to the day that he weighed his Choices and options. Will I be a prince of Egypt or will I be a servant of God? And he chose to go with God's people. Number two, your choices matter because of the brevity of your life. James 4.14, whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow, For what is your life anyway? It is even a vapor that appeared for a little time and then vanisheth away. You walk out in a cold night and you breathe out and you see a vapor and it's there for a second or two and then it's gone. And the Bible says that's the way that my life and your life is as well. Ecclesiastes 12.1 is such a key verse. Remember now thy creator when in the days of thy youth, while the evil days come not. He's not talking about evil in the sense of wicked and vile. He's talking about evil in the sense of uncomfortable and distressful. He's talking about evil in the sense of getting old and all the difficulties that come with growing old. How many of you folks here are old enough to know what I'm talking about? Hello, that's what I thought. There's a bunch here tonight. While the evil days come not, nor the years draw now when thou shalt say... I have no pleasure in them. Now, I'm finding out some things. I've been in the ministry since I was 15 years of age, which is now, how many years is it now? I didn't calculate that. Let me see. It's uh, 57 years. And I look back on that, and I remember so clearly what it was like being a teenager. And I remember clearly the choices that I made as a teenager. And you know what? I'm having some difficulties now that I didn't have back then. As I get older, there are things happening to my body. Remember your Creator in the days of your youth. Don't wait until you grow older. Somebody said, when you're young, it seems like you got forever to live. When you get older, you find out forever's only a little while. Somebody put it like this. Just about the time your face clears up, your mind starts to go. (laughs) Amen? Somebody said childhood is that time of life when you make funny faces in the mirror. Middle age is the time of life when the mirror gets even. And old age is the time of life... You just don't want to look in the mirror anymore. <laughs> A fellow was getting ready for bed. He took out his teeth and laid them on the nightstand. Took off his toupee and put it on the nightstand. Pulled out his hearing aid and put it there. Took off his glass, glasses, laid them down. Started to walk away, paused, looked back at the nightstand and then thought to himself, oh my, there's more of me on the nightstand than there is left standing here. Somebody said, you want to know how you can tell when you're growing older? Everything hurts. What doesn't hurt doesn't work anymore. You join a health club, but you don't go. You know all the answers. Nobody asks you the questions. (laughs) You look forward to a dull evening. You need your glasses to find your glasses. I said that to my wife last week. I said, I can't find my glasses and I need my glasses to find them. You sit in a rocking chair, but you can't get it going. You got too much room in the house and not enough room in the medicine cabinet. <laughs> anyway, on the wall of my home, that's a picture of the house that I was raised in, 503 West Robinson Street in Gaffney, South Carolina. On the wall of my home, when I, when I was a boy, there was a plaque that said this, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. An older preacher was riding along in a car with a younger preacher. He looked at the younger preacher and he said, Steve, are you going to stay where you are? I don't know, preacher. But Steve, just like that, you'll be my age. And I want you to be able to look back and feel fulfilled. And the only way you can do that is by doing the will of God. Hear me? Do not waste your life. Young people, listen to me. Just like that, you're going to be 30. Just like that, you're going to be 40. Just like that, you're going to be 50. Just like that, you're going to be 60. I remember when I celebrated my 39th birthday, July the 10th, 1990. You know where I was at? A doctor's office. They x-rayed and found out that I had a broken leg. I had been out riding on my John Deere lawnmower, mowing the lawn, and that hill that you see right there is actually a little steeper than it looks like. This is the only picture I could find of it, but it was, it was steeper than it looks like, and it it would actually go up like this, and so I was riding my John Deere mower, and... And I thought, I don't want to have to get off the mower and get a push mower to mow the hill. I know what I'm going to do. Here is the solution to my problem. I'm going to just ride up on the John Deere mower. And then I'm going to push the clutch in and just... Ride back down. Just roll back down. Then let the clutch back out. Engage the gear again and go back up again. I'd done it before. Everything was fine. It would work. I knew that it would. There almost none of the hill would I have to push more. But that day I got confused. I went up the hill and then I pushed the I pushed the clutch in so that it would roll backward but I got confused and on the way rolling backward I let the clutch back out and the gear engaged again and the John Deere mower did this with me on top of it. I will to tell you when they say nothing rides like a deer I can tell you it's the truth. I know it from experience and it landed on top of me. And I was on that, see that hillside right there? I'm laying with that thing on top of me. And so with my right leg, I shoved real hard and pushed it off. It rolled down the hill, but then I couldn't get up. And I thought I just sprained my ankle or something like that. And so finally, on my birthday, my wife talked me into going to the doctor. And I said to the doctor, actually, I said to the nurse, I said, look, um, I don't need to see the doctor, I don't think. And I said, I know you can't tell me what that x-ray says. But if it's not broken, I don't want to see the doctor. So... She comes out in a little while. She had the x-ray and she said, I'm not allowed to tell you what the x-ray says, but you will be seeing the doctor. (laughs) So I go in, I see the doctor, and and uh I I talk about I I talk to him about this, and and I say, Doc, how long am I gonna have to wear this cast? I said, This thing, this thing will be healed up in about a week, won't it? I had actually broken the tibia bone. That's a little bone just above your, my right ankle. And I had broken that and I never will forget what he said to me. I, I said, this, this will be healed up in three, four days, won't it? He said, huh? Now I'm 39. He says, at your age. How I many of y'all ever had somebody say at your age? At your age, it doesn't start healing for 11 days. And now, I'm 33 years older than that. I want to tell you, life moves on. Now... Can I tell you why I have this ministry that God's given me today? Why I was a pastor, that's me speaking to a group of our young people at our church in Illinois. I was a pastor for 36 and a half years. Now I've been traveling for the last, uh, let me see, 11 years. And why do I have whatever I have right now? It was because on January 22nd, 1967, as a 15 and a half year old young man, I chose to quit trying to run my own life and decided to let God run it. And it scared me to death to do that. I had my life planned out. I played the trumpet in the high school band and I had the top position in the band. I played in the pep band. I played in the dance band. I knew what it was to play in the pep rallies and play and, and have the whole gym of 2,000 young people rocking as I played the lead part, stood up and paid, played the lead part. And, and I was going to become a professional trumpeter playing night, in nightclubs in Charlotte, North Carolina. That was my plan for my life. And if my dad had known what my plans were, he was a godly man. It would have broken his heart. I had not told him. But I finally gave that up, and I remember the night that I came to the altar at our church and, and knelt at the front, and I said, God, I need to get right with you. I'd been saved several years earlier, but I was backsliding on God, and my heart wasn't after the Lord, and, 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 and I said, God, I, I need to get right with you. And God said, I want you trumpet. And I said, God, you can have everything but my trumpet. God said, then you can go back to your seat. It was like He said that in my heart. You can go back to your seat. And I said, God, if you take my trumpet, you're going to mess up my life. I, and, and, and God, and, and you know what happened then? And I don't have time to tell all of it right now, but I gave God my trumpet. And after I gave Him my trumpet, after that, He used my giving Him that trumpet to open every key door in my life, including meeting my wife and getting married. And winding up in Illinois where I pastored for 36 and a half years and I've been living there now for almost 50 years. And and when I surrendered my life to God, I, I, I had to choose later and you're going to be choosing all your life. When, when it came time to look for a wife, I didn't go to the street corner hangout, I went to the church house. And I started listening to and respecting my dad and my mom. I got the education that I needed. I see lots of indecision among young people about what to do their lives. And I wonder if it's because they don't have the direction or they just don't want to make the right choices. Do they have the discernment to make the right choices? Number three, there comes a time when you must The text talked about Moses' parents first and how I thank God for the influence of godly parents. I don't know that there is a more powerful influence in the world. Amram and Jacob were just a couple of slaves who laid bricks and feared God. But our text said they saw that Moses was a proper child. There was something about the way they looked down into little Moses' face that sparked faith and vision in their heart. And it's hard for me to understand how dad and mom cannot be in church for themselves. But I cannot begin to grasp how dad and mom can look down into the face of their little baby and stay away from the house of God because they need to be aware that child may go to heaven or hell based on what you as parents do the training you do the example that you set and so on now what amram and jacob did was important but there came a time when moses had to choose for himself and all the wisdom that he showed here not a lot of not many young people in our day show such incredible wisdom he compared the riches and prestige of Egypt and the pleasures of sin, the position, the power, the wealth, the freedom from problems, he compared it to the reproach of Christ. Could I tell you, there is no comparison. Egypt wins hands down unless you look out in the future He had respect unto the recompense of the reward. He could distinguish between those things that are passing and those things that are permanent. Why do people choose the world over Christ? Because they're short-sighted. They are not looking long-range. Lot should have done what Moses did. He could have stayed out of Sodom. Judas should have done what Moses did. He could have avoided the guilt and hopelessness and despair of betraying the Lord Jesus Christ. Solomon should have done what Moses did. He could have avoided his heart being turned away from God by wicked women who were idol worshipers. It's not that hard. How do you do it? Just find somebody who once made the choice you're about to make and ask them, How did that choice come out? That's all you got to do. Number four, your choices affect not only you yourself, but others as well. The power of choice is an incredible power, not only because of the impact on your life, but because of the impact on other people's lives. You remember Joshua as a father said to the whole nation of Israel, as for me and my house, We will serve the Lord. And, you know, I've had dads say to me almost arrogantly, I'm not going to choose for my children, but the truth is, they just did. They just did. They chose to say salvation doesn't matter. That that serving God is a small thing. That eternity is not something to be concerned about. I want to tell you, eternity is something to be concerned about. Did it affect my life, I'm the youngest in that picture, did it affect my life that T.G. and Francis Davis chose to get out of bed on Sunday morning and get six children ready and go to church faithfully? Yeah, it made a difference. That they chose to honor God. That they chose to tithe. Your choices affect not only you yourself, but others as well. Let me continue my opening story a little further. You remember that Butch O'Hare has just seen a whole squadron of Japanese Zeros as he's headed back to this aircraft carrier. And he realizes that the fleet of American ships is helpless. There was only one thing to do. He must somehow single-handedly divert this whole squadron away from the fleet of American ships. Laying aside all thoughts of personal safety, Butch O'Hare dove into the formation of Japanese planes, Wing-mounted fifty calibers blazed as he charged in, attacking one surprised enemy plane, then another, and another. He wove in and out of the now broken formation and fired at as many planes as possible until finally all his ammunition was gone. Undaunted, he continued the assault. He dove with his plane at the enemy planes trying to at least clip off a wing or a tail, hoping to damage as many planes as possible and render them unfit to fly. He was desperate to do anything he could do to keep the uh, to keep them from reaching the American fleet of ships. Finally, the exasperated enemy squadron flew off in a different direction. And deeply relieved, Butch O'Hare and his tattered fighter plane limped back to the carrier. Upon arrival, he reported in and related the events surrounding his return. And the film from the camera mounted on his plane told the story. It showed the extent of his daring attempt to protect his fleet. He was recognized as a hero and given one of the nation's highest military honors. And today, O'Hare Airport in Chicago is named in tribute to the courage of this great man. And that whole section in the terminal is dedicated to the memory of that brave hero. Now, that sounds like the end of the story. But it's not. And the best part of the story, I'll tell you in just a few minutes. Number five, you may choose, but after you choose, you lose the ability to choose. Now, here's what I mean by that. You can make choices, but you cannot determine the outcome of those choices. The power of choice is not an absolute power, it is a limited power. You control the power to choose, you don't control what comes after you choose. You can choose, you cannot choose what takes place as a result of your decision. You remember that Joshua said, choose you this day whom you will serve. So you choose And then you become a servant of your choices. You can choose what you read. You cannot choose how it will affect you. Choices are not fixed. Consequences are not totally fixed, but they're more fixed than choices are. You can choose to reject Jesus as Savior, but the consequence then is taken out of your hands. You won't go to heaven. You will go to hell. God will not save you against your will. You can choose to be rebellious toward God, Christian. You cannot choose to stop the chastening hand of God upon your life. Now, I told you I pastored in Lincoln, Illinois for 36 and a half years. I still live in that area. Interstate 55 goes right by Lincoln, Illinois. I can choose to get on Interstate 55 heading south, I cannot choose what cities I'm going to ride by. I will ride by Broadwell, Illinois. I will next ride by Elkhart, Illinois. I will then ride by Williamsville, Illinois. And eventually, I'll ride right by Springfield, Illinois. So you can choose what road you're going to get on. You cannot choose where that road is going to take you. It is going to take you where it wants to take you unless... You choose to get on a different road. All of us should be glad that God allows you to turn. Say amen, would you? God has not predetermined your choices, but He has predetermined where they will choose, where they will take you. You can choose to fellowship more with non-Christians than Christians, and you should be friends with everybody. No Christian should ever be a snob. But you cannot choose the negative impact of a decision of being closer friends with the ungodly than with Christians, and what that will do to you. You can choose to break your dad and mom's heart. You cannot choose the feeling of emptiness that will result... When and if you do that. There's nothing quite like a dad saying to a son or a daughter, you are such a blessing to me. I am so thrilled with your life. I'm so blessed that you are my child. You know, there is a verse of scripture. I've been, I've been in churches all my life. I bet we used to have a youth conference every year at our church and we had, uh, we had hundreds who came to it and, and we probably had I don't know. We would typically have 40 to 50 different churches that would come from everywhere to our youth conference. And you know what? I have never yet heard an entire message on what I believe is one of the key verses for young people in the Bible Proverbs 27 11. Read it off the screen out loud, everybody. Would you please, all together? My son be wise and make my heart glad that I may answer him that reproacheth me. He gives a couple of reasons here why you need to be wise and wisdom is making, wisdom is seen in making wise choices. And the first is so that you make your dad and mom's heart glad. Did you know it doesn't matter whether your dad and mom are even Christians or not. If you live for God, they'll probably be blessed by you as you just do right. There's something about living right that sparks joy and gladness in the heart of parents. My son be wise and make my heart glad that I may answer him that reproacheth me. You know what happens? If a young man goes the wrong direction, if a young lady goes the wrong direction, they look at the dad or mom and they say, ha ha, look at your son, look at your daughter. And even if people don't say it out loud, you can see it in their faces. There's something that happens when you make your parents glad. Then he can answer those who would scorn and mock him. I think about President Trump right here. And he's not had a perfect life spiritually by any means. And and But let me point out something too. Do you remember who ran the Republican National Convention in 2016 when Trump was running for president? And the news media went crazy over it, but it was like they wanted to criticize it and they couldn't figure out how to criticize it because Trump's children ran it. And I don't know what kind of father he is, but he's doing something right as a dad when it says to the whole world you have to respect what the man is doing because his children love and respect him. I'm still talking about how you may choose, but after you choose, you lose the ability to choose. You cannot. Read this with me. Would you please, everybody? You cannot take the wrong road and come out at the right place. It is just not possible. Did you ever take the wrong road? And then realize, wait a minute, wait a minute, I'm on the wrong road. This, 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 what, what is going on? I heard a youth pastor tell how a girl named Stephanie sat in his office at 15 years of age and said these foolish statements. You know, Pastor, I don't want to be an alcoholic, but I'd like to get drunk just one time. I don't want to get addicted to smoking, but I'd like to smoke at least one cigarette. I don't want to get addicted to drugs, but I'd like to try drugs. I'd like to get high. I don't want to be a harlot, but I'd like to be alone with a boy and spend the night with him in a motel at least once. The girl was in a Christian home being raised by Christian parents, going to bed with her headphones on, listening to terrible stuff. Then she started slipping out at night, and the youth pastor who told the story said this. That was 15 years ago. She is 30 now. She's had her booze, her drugs, and more than one abortion. And one night she was at a tavern with a boyfriend and she and him were both drunk and another man started flirting with her and the boyfriend walked over to tell him to shut up and she said, no, I want him, not you. And the boyfriend went out to the pickup truck, got his pistol, walked in and in front of her and the other guy put it to his temple and pulled the trigger and died in her arms. And you know what? She made her choices. She couldn't choose where they were going to lead her. Number six, no choice is itself a choice. You you say, well, I'm not going to choose. Somebody said, when you have to make a choice and you don't make it, that is in itself a choice. You cannot make no choices. You must make choices. And I could add here, sometimes little choices are bigger ones than you dream. In 1 Samuel 14, Jonathan made the little decision to eat some honey, but that little decision almost cost him his life. The little decision to just not be self-centered and to smile at people. I heard a story about a guy who was headed to the Golden Gate Bridge in San Francisco, which is the top suicide spot in the entire world. More people commit suicide jumping off the Golden Gate Bridge than anywhere else. And he left a note. In fact, they're building right now. It's been going on for several years. They are building a net underneath that bridge to stop people from jumping off, to catch people so they can't kill themselves. A guy went to the bridge, left a note. The police found it later. It said, I'm... Going to the Golden Gate Bridge. I'm going to jump off. I'm going to take my own life. If anybody smiles at me on the way. I won't do it. Nobody smiled at him. Christian. Get out of your self-centeredness. And just smile at everybody. Everybody's having a hard time. Smile at everybody. Number seven. The time for all choices. Will come to an end. Your life is a clock that is ticking. The choices you have today, you may not even have tomorrow. Your life just keeps going. You better be careful saying that you will choose to serve God later on. What if later on doesn't come? In Numbers chapter 14... The children of Israel were at Kadesh Barnea. God had brought them out of Egypt in order to bring them into the promised land. But 10 of the 12 spies brought back an evil report. And all the congregation began to murmur and complain and say, we just can't go into the promised land. And God heard it. And if you read Numbers chapter 14, you can actually make a line across the page And say right here is where they gave up the will of God. Their choice ended. God gave them a chance up till that and after that they spent 40 years wandering in the wilderness and the next day they said we made a mistake we're gonna go up now and Moses said it's too late. You gave it up yesterday. There is a period of time when you choose and there will come a time when the choices will pass you by and you will no longer have the opportunity to make those other choices be careful about saying you're going to get saved later what if the spirit of god isn't convicting you later what if you don't see your need later what if you die suddenly you can wait so long there will not be the choice for you to make read my points with me and i'll wind this up all together number one Life is not made up of the dreams that you dream. Life is made up of the choices that you make. Number two, your choices matter because of the brevity of life. Number three, there comes a time when you must choose. Number four, your choices affect not only yourself, but others as well. Number five, You may choose, but after you choose, you lose the ability to choose. Number six, no choice is itself a choice. Number seven, the time for all choices will end. And number eight, Don't let the wrong pressure of others push you into a foolish choice. I have been in churches and watched young people as the Spirit of God was speaking to somebody's heart and they knew they needed to go to the altar. They needed to surrender to God. And they looked over at their friend and their friend did this. And then they just stayed right there. They let their friend push them into making a wrong decision. Moses listened to the Lord, listened to godly parents, and that's why he made the decision he made that day. I want you to get this picture in your mind. I don't really have a great picture of it, but this is the closest I can find to it. A pastor, many years ago, was sitting in the third car behind a railroad track And the train was going by, and he's watching the second car in front of him. And the driver of that second car kept creeping up on the bumper of the first car. He's getting closer and closer, and the pastor is watching this. And finally, the train goes by, And that second car is now right on the bumper of that first car. And the guy in the second car puts down on his horn and honks and honks and honks. And the people in that first car, pressured by the guy in the second car, they dart across the railroad tracks, but it wasn't a single railroad track. It was a double railroad track. And they didn't look to see if there was another train coming the opposite direction, and there was. And the pastor watched in horror as he saw that first car. As soon as it hit that second track, and the train came and creamed them in the side pushed them down the track, and killed everybody in that car because they felt pressured by the guy in the second car. And they just felt like... And there are so many people who let the wrong pressure of others push them into a foolish choice. Now, I said that the story of Butch O'Hare was not done. Some years earlier, there was a man in Chicago by the name of Easy Eddie. That is his picture. At that time, Al Capone virtually owned the city of Chicago. And Capone... Wasn't famous for anything heroic. His exploits were anything but praiseworthy. He was notorious for enmeshing the city of Chicago and everything from bootleg booze and prostitution to murder itself. And Easy Eddie was Al Capone's lawyer. For a good reason. Easy Eddie was a good lawyer. He was good at what he did. In fact, his skill at legal maneuvering kept Big Al out of jail for a long time. That's an actual picture of Al Capone and his 1928 armor-plated, bulletproof Cadillac. To show his appreciation, Capone paid Easy Eddie really well. And not only was the money big, and yes, there were $1,000 bills back then, Eddie got special dividends. For instance, he and his family occupied a fenced-in mansion with live-in help and all the fancy conveniences of the 20s and 30s. The estate was so large, it filled an entire Chicago city block. And Easy Eddie lived the high life of the Chicago mob and gave little consideration to the atrocities that were going on all around him. But easy Eddie had a soft spot. He had a son that he loved dearly. And Eddie saw to it that his young son had the best of everything. Clothes, cars, good education, nothing withheld, price, no object. And despite his involvement with organized crime... Easy Eddie was even trying to teach his son right from wrong. He was trying to teach his son to arise above his own sordid life. He wanted him to be a better man than he was. Yet with all of his wealth and influence, there were two things that Easy Eddie couldn't give his son. Two things that he had sacrificed to the Capone mob that he could not pass on to his beloved son. A good name and a good example. One day, Easy Eddie reached a very difficult decision. He made one of the most difficult choices any man in his line of work could have ever made. Offering his son a good name was more important than all the riches he could make and leave for his son. He had to rectify all the wrong he had done. He decided to go to the authorities and tell the truth about Chicago mobster Scarface Al Capone. Eddie would clean up his tarnished name and offer his son some semblance of integrity. To do this, he would have to take the witness stand and testify against the mob. And he knew the cost would be great, but more than anything, he wanted to be an example to his son to do his best to make restoration, hopefully have a good name to leave his son. So he testified in the courtroom. And within the year, Easy Eddie's life ended in a blaze of gunfire on a Chicago street, his body riddled with bullets. In fact, that picture was so graphic, I covered up the picture on the left. It was just too graphic. Even though it was on the front page of the Miami Arrow, it was just too graphic for me to use when I might have children in the auditorium. That is the actual picture of the car itself. Now, I know what you're thinking. What do these two stories have to do with each other? Well, just this. Butch O'Hare was Easy Eddie's son. His name was actually Eddie O'Hare. And what if Easy Eddie O'Hare had not chosen to change his path? Not only may Butch O'Hare have never been a character American hero, but a fleet of ships... And thousands of men may have died because a dad didn't make a wise decision that would affect his son that then would affect the whole course of American history. It wasn't just a son's wise choice. It was a father's wise choice that produced a character son who could also know how to make Really tough, but very wise choices. And why are choices important? Read it with me, please, everybody. Because your choices, not your dreams, determine your future. Would you bow with me, please? And I ask everybody in the room tonight, young and old, are you making wise choices? Have you decided that no matter what it costs you, you're going to make a wise choice? Have you surrendered your life to the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you know Him as Savior? Are you more worried about what other people think or what God thinks about your life? In just a moment, we're going to stand and we're going to have the pianist play and I'm going to give you an opportunity. Maybe tonight you need to surrender your life to the Lord. You need to make that big choice that says, yes, I'm going to do what God wants me to do. I'm not just going to do what's easy to do. If Moses had done that, we would not even know about Moses. I'm going to make the choice that will make a major difference for the rest of my life. January 22nd, 1967. As a 15 and a half year old young man, I walked forward in Northside Baptist Church in Gaffney, South Carolina. I was halfway back in that auditorium, and I walked forward, knelt at the altar, and, and I said, God, i got to get right with you, and I gave God my life, my trumpet, my whole life. And you know what? I have no regrets, and I'm seventy. One years old now, and I'm glad I made that choice. Could I ask you, what choices are you making? Are there choices that you need to make?